They call us Uncut Gems. You are listening to our Patreon-exclusive tie-in episode for February 2023, and my name is Randy. And my name is Jakob. <laughs> I'm not going to do this. They call me Mr. Jakob. <laughs> and this is Mr. Grasso as well. Back, back in the house. Awesome. Yeah, we're a big family again. Good to see you, Nick. How are you guys doing? Good, 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 good. Happy to be here. Awesome. All right. So we'll jump into a few announcements as we normally do. So on the main show and here on Patreon, uh, Year of the Soderberg continues on the main show available for free. Right now, you will have access to uh, February's double deep cut episode. So our episode 106, where we talked about the underneath and Schizopolis from our boy Soderbergh. Here on Patreon, you will find our Soderbergh shallow cut for February, where uh, Jacob and I talked about King of the Hill. Also on Patreon later this month, uh, we're going to release the next discussion in our John Cassavetes Marathon series, and that will be Too Late Blues, so watch for that in a couple weeks' time. Also, check out our website, www.uncutgemspodcast.com, and check out our social media pretty much everywhere uh, at Uncut Gems Pod. So plug for what we're doing on our main show this month. Our theme over on the regular show is Best Picture Oscar Winners Sequels. (laughs) (laughs) Dramatic pause. They're sequels. Yes. So a big thank you to all the Patreon subscribers. Thank you very much. Your support is very much appreciated. Uh, Be sure to tell your movie geek friends about us. And uh, you and everyone who listens can join into the conversation anytime. Right in. Uh, We love meeting new film fans. Okay, today's order of business, uh, as this is our February 2023 tie-in episode, we're connecting today's discussion to our monthly theme over on the regular show where we're talking about Best Picture Oscar winners sequels, uh, not the lauded films in the franchise, not the supposedly good ones. We're talking about their follow-up. So today we're connecting to our main show's upcoming conversation on They Call Me Mr. Tibbs. And that, of course, leads us today to talk about 1967's Oscar-winning In the Heat of the Night. The bird's here, Chief. He thinks that Harvey's innocent. Well, I'll be damned. Could I talk to you about it in private? No, you can't talk to me about it in privacy because I got Cobra's wallet right here in my hand. We took it from Harvey Overs. You don't think he gave it to him, do you? I don't know, but Overs could have come along after the crime. Found it, picked it up. I don't know. That's what the boy said he did. Well, I'm sorry, ma'am, but I said different. Well, 
When I examined the deceased, it was obvious that the fatal blow was struck from an angle of 17 degrees from the right, which makes it almost certain the person who did it is right-handed. So what? Old Harv's left-handed, Chief. Everybody in town knows that. Yeah, uh, that, that's what we figured out, Chief. Uh, Harvey's a lefty, uh-huh. Pretty sure of yourself, ain't you, Virgil? Virgil, that's a funny name for a boy that comes from Philadelphia. What did they call you up there? They call me Mr. Tibbs. Mr. Tibbs! Well, Mr. Wood, take Mr. Tibbs! Take him down to the depot, and I mean boy like now! In the Heat of the Night uh, was directed by Norman Jewison. It was written by Sterling Siliphant, uh, and he ended up winning uh, the Oscar that year for Best Adapted Screenplay. It's based on a book by John Ball, a uh, book of the same name. Uh, stars Rod Steiger, who won Best Actor that year. Also stars Sidney Poitier, who was not even nominated for the Oscars that year, but he was a previous Oscar winner. Also stars Warren Oates, Lee Grant, Anthony James, and I'll leave it at that because I think I wrote down the wrong name, Larry something, but I wrote, <laughs> but I wrote Larry Endicott, but that's the character's name. Uh, <laughs> so, Larry Gates. Is it Larry Gates. Larry Gates. Thank you. So who there plays uh, Mr. And Endicott? A very young Scott Wilson. Uh, but, yeah. And behind the scenes too, you've got Hal Ashby, who was the editor of this, and uh, he's and a, sort of a, a known director in his in his own right, and was also a production assistant. And uh, the music for this was it was scored by Quincy Jones, and the theme song is by Ray Charles. So there's all kinds of talent in here. The story is that of uh, a character, <laughs> Virgil Tibbs. That's Sidney Poitier. He's a black police officer. So while his while on his way home from visiting his mother, he stops off in a small town uh, train station in Sparta, Mississippi. And he's just there for a couple hours waiting to get a transfer to another train. Um, Tibbs is a homicide and forensic expert from the city of Philadelphia. And at first, he's found just hanging out in the train station alone, and he becomes accused of the murder of one of Sparta's richest citizens. Uh, They end up getting that cleared up. And then, though, Virgil Tibbs ends up being sucked into helping out with the local police investigation into this murder they have on their hands. And let's just say the local police aren't really used to the the whole CSI scene. So they can use whatever help they can get. So this turns into (laughs) Tibbs and police chief Gillespie. That's Rod Steiger. They end up forming a very rocky alliance to solve this murder. And it's rocky in particular because Bill Gillespie is a racist. Um, But the town around him is way worse. So (laughs) Tibbs has to solve the case. He's positively progressive. (laughs) In comparison. So Tibbs has to solve the case in a matter of a couple days. And Gillespie has to basically keep the rest of the town from killing Tibbs. And that's our story. Behind the scenes. So during pre-production, locations for shooting were actually scouted um, in the South in Mississippi and Tennessee and Poitier to this said, Nope. And he cited an incident (laughs) where Harry Harry Belafonte and he were nearly uh, killed. They were attacked in Mississippi at some sort of event and uh, uh, by the KKK uh, nonetheless. Because it's mid-60s, come on. (laughs) So Poitier was like, no, I don't want to shoot down south. So they they shot up north and the film is set in Sparta, Mississippi, but it's actually shot in Sparta, Illinois, a small town (laughs) in 
in the north. And they actually changed the name of the town so that they could use local town signage, which I thought was sort of an interesting choice. Um, the exception to shooting up north was they did end up shooting uh, a couple scenes on a cotton plantation in Tennessee. So they shot... Um, they shot down south as quickly as they could so they could get out of town. The production did receive some verbal abuse from locals, you know, some comments and racial heckling. And while they were down there, allegedly, Sidney Poitier uh, slept with a gun under his pillow. Like he just was did not feel safe there whatsoever. Um, the story of the film is set during the dog days of summer, but it was actually shot in the fall of 1966. And during some of the night scenes, the actors had to suck on ice cubes to cool down their breath and they would spit it out right before, <laughs> right before they started shooting and before uh, Jewison called action. And they did this so you couldn't see their breath. So uh, some interesting trickery going on here. Robert Mitchum, Lawrence Tierney and George C. Scott, they were all considered for the role of Chief Gillespie before Rod Steiger got it. Um, by all accounts, Steiger and Poitier got along great. They had a lot of rehearsal time and they actually did some improv work, which led to some of the dialogue that we see in some of the scenes. Steiger spoke with a Southern accent during the whole shoot. So I guess he's one of those guys. Uh, and <laughs> this production, and this is sort of an interesting little tidbit. This was the first time, at least in a U.S. film, that a cinematographer lit a color film in a way that was specifically... Uh, to make a black actor's complexion look good on film. It just wasn't really done or considered before. And this was a detail that was really important to Jewison and director of photography, Haskell Wexler. There's another mm -hmm. talent behind the scene. Um, once the film was edited, uh, Jewison didn't really know what he had on his hands. So at a test screening, he was concerned because there was a lot of laughter during the, during the screening. And he thought, oh my gosh, the, the audience doesn't really get this. But later during the scene where Virgil Tibbs slaps the rich white guy, the audience went completely silent. And Jewison at that point, he felt, okay, the film works. In the Heat of the Night ended up being a big hit. It was released to theaters and made 24 plus million in 1967. Oh, <laughs> nice. Sorry. <laughs> silver platter. Yeah. Well played, well played. Um, and it made that $24 million on a fairly modest budget, only I think uh, $2 million or so. Went on to win uh, five Oscars, I believe it was. Best Picture, Best Actor, that's for Steiger. Best Screenplay, Best Editing, Best Sound. Uh, There's a lot of talk at the time that Sidney Poitier should have been nominated for Best Actor. Um, but the context in here is that this is Poitier's biggest year ever. He had three really big hits. In the Heat of the Night, To Serve With Love, and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, which was also up for Best Picture mm -hmm. that year. So there's a lot of... Ba basically, it appears that Poitier probably would have been up for Best Actor uh, best actor himself, but there's a lot of vote splitting because you can't oh. have the same actor be nominated for two films in the same category. So In the Heat of the Night was critically adored. It was championed as an important film that discusses uh, race relations. Uh, and for what it's worth, it's Akira Kurosawa's and Danny Glover's favorite films or amongst them. Uh, the film remains precious and adored 
pretty much universally today. It holds a very clear legacy. There was a TV show, which even though like I was around when it was on, I don't have too much recollection of it, but it ran for seven seasons. The TV show it itself did. had several TV movies, I think, attached to it. There are two theatrical movie sequels. There were sequel novels as well. Six um, of them. <laughs> really? Okay. I, yes. I know were a bunch. The total of seven books between 1962 and 1980 something. Well, yeah, More on go. that in the uh, in the ma- on the main show. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, franchising this movie. There's going to be a lot that we have to say about the franchising, the packaging of this. Um, it's commonly listed on lists as one of the top 100 American films ever made um, in the, the American Film Institute's various series. Um, Virgil Tibbs is listed as number 19 on their list of the greatest film hero and on their greatest quotes list. Um, the quote, they call me Mr. Tibbs, is the number 16 quote uh, from that list. Uh, so What's number 15? I want to say what's number 15. What's what's better than <laughs> They what? call me Mr. Tibbs. If I 100 quotes, I got you covered. Okay. Oh, brilliant. Let's do it. Immediately, without even without even me having to just cut in a piece of music. <laughs> no need. E.T., phone home. It's That's 15. bad. Okay. Yes, and number 17 is Rosebud, so it's sandwich. They want you to go up between, between Citizen Kane and <laughs> E.T. E. Well, number one is what? Look, uh, no, I am your Well, father. to go very quickly, you have 14 yeah, onward, you have... The stuff the dreams are made of from the Maltese Falcon. Okay. Love yeah. means never having to say you're sorry from Love Story. I love the smell mm. of napalm in the morning. Apocalypse Now. Fine. What we've got here is failure to communicate from mm-hmm. Cool Hand Luke, amazing mm-hmm. movie also from 1967. You talking to me, taxi driver, mm-hmm. fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night from All About Eve. Nice. May the force be with you. From uh, I don't know what movie that is. Uh, Spaceballs. Right, uh, space <laughs> May the uh, Schwartz be with you. <laughs> Ananka Jam's favorite. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close up. Sounds like That's a it. Go ahead, make my day. From oh, Sudden nice. Impact, here's looking at you, kid. Nice. Casablanca. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. The Wizard of Oz. You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody instead of a bum, which is what I am. Is this your Marlon Brando? (laughs) Uncanny, uncanny. Uh, On the waterfront. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Also Marlon Brando. (laughs) It's a one-two punch. One-two punch. Oh, Jesus. And lastly, guys and dolls. (laughs) Number one, of course, frankly, my dear. I don't um, give a damn. Okay. So it's not like I, I get I ate his liver with uh, some fava beans and some nice Chianti. <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 number that's number twenty-one. That's number twenty-one. If you'd like to listen to this show in its entirety, head over to our Patreon over at patreon.com slash uncutgemspod where for three bucks a month you'll be able to hear many other bonus recordings of ours, such as tie-ins to our main show, mini retrospectives and comprehensive director marathons. Patreon.com slash Uncut is the place, so head over there and subscribe. Mm-hmm.